Welcome to the Sober Mofos Podcast, where we discuss how to get sober, how to stay sober, and how to live a healthy, happy life in sobriety. My name is Dirk Foster, and I'm a sobriety coach and author, and I've been sober since 2007. From time to time, I like to tell certain types of stories to people, stories that exemplify what it was like for me while I was out there drinking and using. And these are stories I call war stories. In other words, these are the kind of stories that are sort of of the darker nature, uh, the things, the crazy shit that I used to get into, the behavior that I acted out while I was drinking. And I, I tell these stories for two reasons. One, it's a good reminder to myself what I am capable of when I drink, what kind of trouble I can get myself into, what kind of danger I can put myself into. And two, it lets other people know that the things that they do when they drink are, you know, normal. Well, I don't know about normal, but they're, they're what we do. It's something that others can relate to. So if you're dealing with any sense of regret or shame or guilt about what you did in your drinking days when you were drinking or what you're doing currently right now, it's important that we all recognize that we share these things, that we all have these things in common. We all do really stupid shit when we're drinking and and drugging, okay? So I like to share these stories um, because they're good for me and they're good for other people to hear. So I'm going to share one of those war stories today that I share often with people um, that are trying, people who are, who are new to sobriety or who are trying to get sober, just to kind of show what I used to do. And, and a lot of people can relate to this story. Some can, some can't. But um, I want to share this story with you. Before I get started, I want to invite you to visit my website, which is SoberMofos.com. There you're going to find lots of free stuff, resources, articles, blog posts, videos, um, as well as books and audio books on addiction, recovery, and sobriety. Um, I'm also a sobriety coach. So if you or somebody you care about, uh, care about needs any kind of help or guidance in recovery, either getting sober or staying sober or building a life in um, recovery, um, feel free to contact me through my website. Okay. Again, that's SoberMofos.com. All right. So I'm going to tell you this story. This happened, this happened a number of years, years ago. And to just quickly, quickly give you a little bit of background, if you haven't heard my podcast before or read any of my books, um, I started drinking when I was around 12. Um, I graduated to um, hard drugs by the time I was 14. Um, I got sober when I was 43 years old. Currently, um, I've been sober. Well, I've been sober since 2007. So right now, that's a little over 15 years. My life in, 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 as an alcoholic was a progressive um, experience. Um, I drank for many years um, and had fun for many years when I was younger. And then as I got older, things got um, worse and darker and uh, more dangerous. It is a progressive disease. I eventually was able, through help, I got sober, at, like I said, in 2007. I went to a 12-step program to get uh, sober. Uh, a friend took me to my first meeting, and I've been sober ever since. You may or may not be a 12-stepper. You know, in, I, it doesn't matter. I mean, however you get sober is is great, you know, just as long as you try. 
And maybe you're not sober yet and you just want to, you know, figure out a, a way to get sober. So there are many paths to sobriety. 12 steps is just one of them. That's the one that worked for me, but um, there's other options out there. So if you need help, reach out. It is out there. You can get help. You can get sober. Anyway, so um, I've been sober for a while now, but um, when I was drinking and using, I used to get into quite a bit of trouble, especially the last few years. There was many, many red flags along my drinking journey over the decades. But as I got older, and this is quite common, as I got older, the effects of the alcohol became more and more drastic. And um, my alcohol intake was increasing as I was getting older. My drug abuse was increasing as I got older. Um, I had a really, I had developed a really nasty cocaine and um, crack habit along with my drinking. So my story, this is one of my stories, one of my war stories. And this happened like the last two or three years of my drinking before I got, I finally got sober. So I was like probably 40 years old when this happened. So I was living with somebody at the time. Um, I'm no longer with this person. Um, and I was in a relationship with this woman and I was living in a apartment and we were living in Los Angeles. And I had this habit, what I used to do, and I had a, a fairly, at that time, I had a pretty decent job. It was an office job. What I used to do is every single night I would get off work and I would drive to the liquor store and get there around 5.30 or 6. And I had a long commute from my office to my home. This is Los Angeles. So the traffic, of course, is, is a nightmare. So I would stop at a liquor store near my office um, where I worked. And I would get a um, bottle of orange juice and two small little vodka bottles, those little airplane bottles. And then I would get a bottle of wine. And then I would get a whole bunch of like little bottles of, of wine and vodka, just a bunch of them that I'd stick in different pockets. So in my coat and in my, my front pockets, wherever I could hide them. So on the drive home, I would have the orange juice with two small bottles of vodka poured into it. That would be my commute cocktail. I would have a cocktail while I was driving down the 405 trying to get home. And it was usually about a 45 minute to an hour commute. So by the time I got home, I was feeling pretty buzzed. And then I would walk in and um, my girlfriend would see that I had one bottle of wine and that seemed reasonable to her. And I got to say in advance, um, she wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed. So how she didn't catch on to some of these things, I have no idea. But, um, you know, God bless her. But she she wasn't too bright. Uh, <laughs> so I would walk in with my one bottle of wine and say, honey, I bought us a bottle of wine and it would be it for us to share. So as far as she knew, I would be just sharing a bottle of wine with her. She would have maybe a glass and that would be about it. And she wasn't an alcoholic and I would consume the rest of it over the course of the evening. But in between my sips of this bottle of wine, while we were watching TV or whatever, I would be sneaking into, uh, into the back room, into the bedroom where I had all the little bottles that I had hidden into my coat and I'd be pounding those in the back room. And then go out, I'd go out and have a cigarette and then I'd come back in and I would continue sipping my bottle, of, my, my wine, my glass of wine with her. So all she saw was me drinking, sharing a bottle of wine with her. She didn't see, know that I drank before I got home, and she didn't know I was sneaking the little bottles um, in the back room, okay? So this was, a, this was a normal thing for me. This was a normal night for me, and I did this for quite a long time, for a, a number of years um, in, in various forms. I was always hiding alcohol around the house, and, and I had it stuffed in all my pockets and my coat, my jacket pockets, and 
closets and underwear drawers and everything. And of course, the next day I'd have to find them and scoop them and remember where they all were, all the empties and, and discard them before she saw them. And great, just ridiculous. But that's how I that's how I did it. So what would happen all the time is by around 10 o'clock, I would just be shit faced. I'd be three sheets to the wind. And my pattern back in those days was to get really drunk. And then once I got really drunk, I wanted to score either Coke or crack, uh, whichever I could get my hands on. And every night was the same thing. I always told myself I wasn't going to get high. You know, I was going to have a few drinks, but I wasn't going to do any drugs. I wasn't going to do any Coke or smoke any crack, but it never, <laughs> it never worked out that way. So what happened was I would get her, convince her it was time for her to go to bed. And, you know, she would get tired around 11 o'clock. So she would eventually go in the other room and start getting ready for bed. And so this one night, she went to bed around 11, 11.30, 12, whatever time it was. And um, I waited for her to fall asleep. And I was pretty hammered by this point. And I really wanted to get high. I wanted to, you know, get some Coke or some rock in me. So she went to bed, finally went to sleep. And I ended up sneaking out. I didn't want to go into the bedroom and put on any clothes or normal clothes because I didn't want to wake her up. So I was just wearing um, essentially a pair of like shorts that were like pajama shorts, um, and a t-shirt and flip-flops. And this is like now in the middle of the night in Los Angeles. And I snuck out the back door, walked down these little steps that we had behind our apartment. And um, I had the sense not to drive my car that night for whatever reason, because I used to drive drunk all the time. But this one time I ended up, and this is pre-Uber. So there was no Uber back then. So I had to walk all the way down to La Brea Boulevard, which is quite a few blocks, and I stood there in the middle of the night, 12 o'clock, in my shorts and my T-shirt and my flip-flops, waiting for a cab. A cab finally showed up and um, took me. I asked them to take me into Hollywood where there was some, some back alleys, some back streets where I thought I could score, which is where, uh, some areas where I used to score um, dope, you know, my crack or coke, usually crack. So the cab came. I, I was taken up into the shitty area of Hollywood, got out. And I spent quite a quite a while trying to score, you know, and I was, you know, I would score off um, gangbangers, you know, the gang members up there in, in Hollywood. So here I am walking around in my shorts, my flip flops and my T-shirt middle of the night. Finally, I score, you know, it took quite a while. And I kept going to the liquor store and buying booze and buying little bottles and pounding it. So I finally got my stuff, got my rock and I couldn't wait till I got home to start smoking it. <clears throat> So I was walking back down the boulevard, um, hailing a cab, waiting for a cab to show up. And um, I saw some homeless guys in a little alley. And so I approached them and asked them if they had a pipe that I could use to take a hit. So the um, one of them had a pipe and um, they were all standing around. They were hoping to get a hit with me. I took a huge hit of, of, of crap. And all of a sudden, the cops rolled up on us. <laughs> And of course, all the homeless guys scattered and I'm standing there like a moron in my shorts and my flip flops with a crack pipe in my hand, huge billow of smoke coming out of my mouth. And the cops jump out and see that I had just taken a hit and they, you know, proceeded to arrest me. Long story short, they proceeded to arrest me and throw me in the back of the car. <laughs> so I was taken to jail, spent the night in jail. Uh, my head still, I was still drunk. My head was still, you know, buzzing from, from that that blast I took on the street. And um, it was scary. I was like, you know, how did, how did this happen to my life? How did I get to this point in my life? 
You know, I was supposed to be somebody. I was supposed to, you know, be an accomplished, you know, person by this stage of my life. And again, I'm around 40 years old and I'm sitting there in this jail cell with gangbangers and my stupid shorts on. And it was just a, it was a nightmare. And so I, I spent the night, you know, staring at the ceiling, laying on my bunk with some, you know, a bunch of lunatics in this, in this cell. And finally around 7 a.m., I was allowed to make a phone call. And so I, you know, didn't know who else to call. So I called my girlfriend who was still back at home. So she picks up the phone and I'm like, hi, honey. And she's like, why are you calling me? Because she still thinks I'm in the living room. As far as she knew, I was in the living room asleep on the couch. But uh, I proceeded to tell her that I had left the house and got arrested. Now, talk about a moment of humiliation. Oh, my God. So she eventually came, got me, bailed me out. It took the rest of the day. I, I got out of there that day. But that is what happened to me on that night. Now, these are the kind of things I used to do. So what happened eventually was I was uh, I was put into a deferred entry of judgment um, uh, from from the judge. Um, so I was able to work off the the. Um, the crime, whatever you want to call it, whatever I was basically, I was able to work it off by going to um, drug classes and going to 12 step meetings and those things. Not that I, any of that worked for me or helped me get sober. It didn't because I was drinking and using the entire time I was going to these classes and going to AA meetings. <laughs> I was like high the whole time, but this is what I used to do. Okay. So these are the kind of things that's the war story I want to share with you. You know, I'm at home having this domestic life. And this is like, you know, this is one side of me. The other side is me waiting for the girlfriend to go to sleep, sneaking out, hanging out with people in alleys in, in, in Hollywood and getting arrested. So this is like, a, this is like the kind of thing I used to do. And that's just one of the stories. There's, there's many stories like that. But I tell this story because number one, it's kind of funny. And looking back at it now, it's, it's just so ridiculous. It always kind of cracks me up. But it exemplifies how I used to behave, what alcohol does to me. When I start drinking, that's where I end up. When I start drinking, this alcoholic starts drinking, I end up making horrible decisions and, and, and putting myself in horrible situations and dangerous situations. And not only that, I end up you know, hurting and humiliating people that I care about. Perhaps you've never been through this experience before specifically, but you know, there's probably th some things you've done <laughs> along the way that you're not quite proud of that make you feel sort of stupid. But I want you to know that this is just what we do. And it doesn't make it's not an excuse. It's not to say that we need we don't need to work on this. We do, because if you're exhibiting this type of behavior in your life, if you're still out there drinking and using and this is the kind of stuff you get into and the trouble you get into, then there's there's a problem. These, this is a major red flag and you need to address it. And I hope I hope you do. Um, you need to consider sobriety and getting clean. And if you're listening to this podcast, most likely you're either thinking about getting sober, which is great, or you're working on your sobriety, which is really great. Um, wherever you find yourself in your own journey. You know, we just got to be careful and, 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 and look for the red flags and, and be aware that, you know, we don't want to go down the path of self-destruction that leads us to an early death or a life in jail. Um, you know, and that happens to a lot of people. A lot of my friends and family members have, have died from this 
disease of alcoholism and drug addiction. Um, and and it, it's it's not a pretty thing. But I, I do want you to know, and if you're listening, that if if you're struggling with regret and resentment, or not or not resentment, but regret and shame about your behavior from the past, just know that you know we've all been there. This is part of the journey that we are on. The most important thing to do is to recognize that there is a problem and that there was a problem and that, that, that there is something that can be done about it. Okay. So if you're listening to this, it probably means you're already working on your sobriety again. And, and that's great. So keep moving forward. Stay positive. If you think you need help, feel free to contact me or contact anybody. You probably know somebody who's working on their own recovery in your life. Most people know somebody in sobriety. You know, reach out to somebody, ask for help, um, call a hotline, call um, Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous, reach out to a counselor, reach out to a sobriety coach like myself, do whatever it takes to get yourself sober. Um, and so you don't build up too many of these stories like the one I just shared with you, because I got a lot of them and I'm just so grateful that I survived them all somehow by the grace of God. Um, I, I survived them all and I'm, I'm still above ground. And now I have a little over 15 years of sobriety and I couldn't be happier. So I want you to be that um, happy too. So take it to heart, take it for what you take it for what it is. And um, I hope this helps you in some way. Just remember um, that there's, there's always a better path. There are options out there for you. You don't have to stay in, in, in a life of, of drinking and abuse and, and addiction and drug abuse. Um, there is a way out. And if you're currently working on your sobriety, God bless you. Um, I hope you, it's working out for you. And if you need any guidance or suggestions or advice, please feel free to contact me. I would love to talk to you. Um, and I'll just leave it at that. So until next time, please stay safe.